Hi, I'm Rachel Roerig. And I'm Heidi Schamberg. And this is the Market Meets Podcast. We are here to introduce you to the people behind the marketplace. The owners, entrepreneurs, investors, and community leaders who are driving the real estate economy and transforming our community. Their stories are unique. Their stories are inspiring. Their stories will make you see your community in a brand new light. These are the people behind the market. Have you heard of Bigger Pockets? How about being a badass? Today we are talking with Whitney Elkins Hutton of Boulder, Colorado, a real estate investor and personal finance trainer whose vision is to help thousands of families on their path towards financial independence. We met her at the Boulder Badass Real Estate Meetup, and you may have listened to her on Bigger Pockets as well. Today we are talking to Whitney about her own story about buying rental properties to owning and managing syndicates. So we met at the Commercial Real Estate Badass Investment Group, very first meetup in Boulder, Colorado, and I was drawn to Whitney's, what I would call her boss babe, basically, which I, I do think that because you've got just a confidence in what you're doing. And I know you've done several different things, I think, since college. And it sounds like you're right where you're supposed to be right now. And in the last less than 10 years, you've been working on your real estate empire. And what I remember from our very first discussion is how quickly you have acquired properties and how little you started with. Yes. Yeah. So our my real estate journey starts back in actually 2002 and I bought a house, a single family house. I was in a relationship at the time and about a month after closing, the relationship fell through and oh I kind of panicked. <laughs> I was like, what yeah. am I going to do? Oh my gosh. So I found a bunch of roommates. I mean, I was 25 at the time, found a bunch of roommates, stuffed them in the house. The house needed a cosmetic rehab, not too much, about $8,000 in materials and then a ton of sweat equity. And they didn't mind living in a little construction dust. And, you know, here we are, you know, about a year later, I had an an investment. I hadn't paid anything in rent or a mortgage, had money in my pocket and sold it for $52,000 above what I paid for it. And so that was kind of like when the light came on for me. Amazing. Real estate's awesome. Yeah, right? That's awesome. <laughs> Didn't go so well in the next deal, but I've learned a lot since. So how long ago was that? The first deal was in 2002. So it was a wild, wild west of lending where you, I was 103% financed on it. So I actually got into real estate for 0% down. I got a loan from a family member for $7,000 to actually close the property immediately took out a HELOC on it and paid them back. And I was 103% financed. Whoa. Yeah. I don't suggest them doing that now. I don't even know if you can do it now. Yeah. They won't let you do that anymore. (laughs) That's so funny. Well, tell us though about that second deal that didn't go as well. Oh, second deal. I am pretty sure I'm the only person that's read rich dad, poor dad and totally failed. I violated every immutable law of real estate bought in the mountains didn't understand where I was buying. I love the house. The house was perfect for me, but I wanted to try to repeat the process, put roommates in the house, make a little bit of capital, trade up eventually. And when I went to sell the house, I quickly realized, one, there was a repair on the house that needed to be made that caused a lot of damage. So we can table that for a second. But I quickly realized that the person I'm selling to was a retiree. And at 8,000 feet, they don't want to climb 19 steps in the wintertime to the porch. So bought the wrong house in the wrong location. And then how I almost lost it all on that deal was that the, a few hours after closing, the neighbor's bus fell into the roof of the 
property. It was built into a mountainside. Oh my gosh. Oh no. And the, the retaining wall that we had repaired for tens of thousands of dollars during the due diligence period collapsed. So this supposedly oh bomb-proof gosh. wall. And the whole entire time I'm looking at this repair that's happening. I only had to bring 6,000 to the table to make the repair. All the rest of the responsibility fell on the buyer. And I'm going, guys, if they just move the bus and keep it off the retaining wall, everything will be fine. Oh, some things you can't control, though, like the neighbor. Oh, no, you can't control the neighbor. Yes. Anyways, long story short, that was at the beginning of the decline. That was in 2006. So we're right at the beginning of the decline. The mountain communities, it started getting hit really hard at that point in time. And it wasn't until 2008 that it trickled down to you know major markets, but... Anyways, at this time, I had met my husband. He's watching me go through this whole drama. And, you know, no sooner than we closed the house, we were looking to buy a condo. And he was like, you're nuts. I'm like, I got it figured out. I'm good. <laughs> this time, I'm right. You're like, I've so, learned all the lessons now. I'm ready to do yeah. it again. <laughs> yes. Yes. I felt farmer. I had paid for my education at that point in time. Right. And then, you know, we entered the Boulder market and... My husband wasn't ready to start investing. So we just started with our primary, bought a condo and fixed it up, flipped it, bought another, fixed it up, got into our primary today. And we purposely bought our primary as a rental thinking that we were going to move out. And just never did. And never did. No, the market took off on us here in Boulder. So, you know, we just kind of paused for a little bit and it wasn't really until 2016 that we launched our full careers into real estate investing. So that's really only three years ago. And how many properties do you own today? So I own 17 single family homes. That's recently come down from 28. The majority of the past six months actually selling, harvesting a lot of equity in some of my properties that I appreciated and then completing a few flips. I also uh, am in, in partnership, hold 2,400 multifamily units and 1,400 self-storage units. Did you see Whoa. my eyes just keep getting bigger and bigger? And <laughs> there wasn't room for them <laughs> to get any bigger. So yeah, so we're leveraging a lot of different investors in order to make those numbers. I bet. Are you managing these properties? Oh, no. Yeah. No, I don't. Are they syndications or do you own them? They're syndications, yes. And are you just an owner in the syndication or do you manage the syndication? So I'm on what you call the two sides of a syndication are a limited partner and a general partner. So in these deals, I'm on the limited partner side. And it's just recently that I'm transitioning over to the general partner side. Can you tell our yeah. listeners a little bit more about syndication and what that means and what that looks like for just like one example of ones that you're in? Sure. So a syndication really means that it's a group of people that are going in to, to take down a deal or an asset. You know, syndication just means group. So when you're driving around town and you look at in a multi-family building, let's say like 100 units or above, it's most likely owned by a group of people that have come together and pooled their money. And so there's usually, like I said, two sides to the deal, the limited partners. Those are the people that are bringing majority of the capital for the down payment and the initial capital reserves. And then you have the general partners who are putting together the actual deal. They're the ones that are finding the asset and then putting all the other you know, team members in place, like the legal in place, the accounting in place, bookkeeping, 
property manager. So they get paid when the asset sells, refinances or sells. They get paid a little bit along the way through a few fees, but they're acquiring an asset and, and making their capital on the back end when the asset sells. So it's a great it's a great strategy because the limited partners, depending on how the deal is structured, the limited partners might make cash flow in hand now and then get a little bit of an equity bump at the end of the deal. The general partnership, they're making a, a teeny bit of money along the way now, and then they make a bunch of money on the back end when the asset sells. Great. And do general partners typically have to put money in as well, or is it just more of like a manager? They don't have to put in money. However, if you want to create alignment with your investors, that's nice if you can. Great. So because they, you know, they have skin in the game. Yeah, no, it makes right? total sense. I was just curious if it was, you could be both essentially like. Oh yeah, you can definitely be both. And, and a lot of syndicators are both. What products are you working on now that you feel comfortable sharing? So I, I can talk about a few deals that we've closed. And so we recently entered into the South Carolina market in Greenville. And I don't have deal specifics in front of me, but we're looking at properties that are 200 units and above in you know, a market where there's good job growth, good income growth, headquarters, Greenville, a lot of headquarters are coming and repositioning their headquarters there. So, you know, there's a lot of belief in the market is going to continue to grow. We're also looking at population growth. We're also looking at the market having varied industries within it. So not, you know, if one industry collapses or falters, the whole market doesn't go down. We're looking for people that, that can actually pay the rents on the property that are making good incomes. So you can kind of put all those together and, you know, that would be how you begin to start invest, you know, betting a market on that. Right. And that formula, is it pretty much you can copy and paste that formula to different markets and how just initially, how are you identifying those markets and also what markets are you in? So yes, you can use that formula, you know, <laughs> going from market to market to market. Okay. And what markets we're currently in, we're currently in Texas. So varying parts of Texas, mostly the Dallas Fort Worth area, a couple assets in San Antonio. And then in the Florida market, Orlando, Jacksonville, Tampa, and then in the South Carolina market and, or actually both Carolinas now. Can I ask? So I don't know if you can answer this, but just as in general for our listeners, because I find this, this whole syndication intriguing. And I've told you this before and I'm in real estate. It's just something I really, and actually until I met you had no idea really was happening, believe it or not, just because the commercial arena is so much different than the residential. But really when you're coming into multi-units, it's not so much because it's an investment, you know, for investment purposes. But with this 200 unit, let's say, for example, in South Carolina as a limited partner, how much money, give or take a little bit, are you coming to the table with as a limited partner? Well, so it depends on the operator. In this particular deal, the initial investment for the limited partners were $50,000. And then, you know, it grows from there. Some operators, they have repeat investor policy. They could bring it down to $25,000 for a repeat investor. And you have to think about it. If you're raising you know, fifty thousand dollars for a million, raising a million, you know, you're 
that's a, a good small investor pool to deal with. If you're raising 10, 15, 20 million dollars, sure, sure, you yeah. want to control the number of investors that are going to be in on the deal. Okay, right? Too many people. In the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so for this particular deal, we can get into nuances, but the preferred cash on cash return was eight percent. So if you fit in fifty thousand dollars, I mean, quick math in the head, that's probably three hundred and 30-ish dollars a month that you're receiving in cash flow. And then, you know, the IRR on the deal was a little bit over a hair over 16%. So at the end of the hold period, in this case, we're estimating five years, you would double your money. But part of that would be made in cash now. And then the rest of the return would come on the equity of the sale of the property. Pretty fascinating. Yeah, Yeah, super, super interesting. Yeah, it gives people access to institutional grade assets, larger assets for a fraction of the cost. Yeah. And in a syndication, you get cash flow, you know, depending on how it's structured, obviously, but in the ones that we do, you know, we get cash flow, you get appreciation, which is what you want anyways with a single family home. And you get to take advantage of all the tax benefits. So there's a cool thing in multifamily and in commercial that you can do a lot easier than you can in single family. And that's what we call cost segregation. And so we do a cost segregation on the multifamily property. And essentially what we're doing, we're looking at all like the, you know, the, the toilet, the cabinets, the carpet, all these things that break down a lot quicker than 27 and a half years. And we're accelerating all the depreciation losses into the early, early years of that investment. And so you get all of those things and then, you know, it's very, it's as passive as you can make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's amazing. Do you, do you get to vote or is it just like you put money in and the general partner just gets to be in control? You just yeah. give advice maybe a little bit or. Well, no. So that's the definition of a limited partner. Once you do your initial due diligence and you choose the operator and the asset, your responsibility is generally over you'll get, you know, monthly or quarterly updates and financials, and then you're just collecting mailbox money. And then you have to be on it whenever you get a notice that the property is refinancing or selling and, you know, fill your obligations then. But in the, the, what they call the PPM, you're actually, with the legal document, you're actually handing over, you know, you're Mm -hmm. putting your faith in the operator to operate that property to the best of their abilities. Have you had any major losses? So this is actually very early on in my in my own personal syndication investing. I uh, invested in a deal. I still have it. We're actually in the process of selling it now and oh. um, right outside of Indianapolis. But small little deal. I did know to I knew very little about syndication, but I did know enough to like vet the operator. Right. Right. Good. And so <laughs> that's, the operator, very reputable op- operator, right. super excited about the deal. And the one thing that I didn't realize in the process was just how small the property management team was that was managing the asset. So I didn't ask as many questions as I probably should have. And so probably invested in it. It would be two years ago now. By wintertime, by December or January, we got a notice that our distributions were being withheld. You're like, nobody likes receiving that. But I really did appreciate the transparency, you know, that they, you know, sure. the reason why. And they, they had to let go of the leasing agent because the leasing agent wasn't able to fulfill their responsibilities and get the property leased up. So 
because it was only 51 units. And if you have like 15% vacancy on 51 units, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot that's of money. A problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they were able to remedy that problem. You know, again, not a headache that I had to deal with, right? And they repositioned it with another property manager that was able to get it at least up and turned it around quickly. And here's the thing about the preferred return is when the property refinances or sells, we're actually in the process of selling, I will be made whole at that point in time before the general partnership gets paid. Oh, interesting. So they'll pay you back for the the monthly income that you did not receive. Yes, up to a certain percentage. In this case, the preferred return was 9%. I'll get all the cash flow of 9% before they get to take anything. Okay. Interesting. So cool. That is really cool. From your learning experience with that, what processes have you changed to make sure that you know, because I imagine you're dealing with, you know, Texas and South Carolina and all of these different places. Who, how do you find the right people, the right help? Right. So that goes back to the operator. I think it's just mostly digging in more questions, the operator and do they have their ducks in a row with their team, right? I think a lot of people get really focused on the returns and the investment structure, which they should, but what, you know, it's kind of just like single family investing, you know, the property manager can make or break that investment. Yeah. So (laughs) it can be, are they maintaining the property? Do they do the right capital expenditures? You know, did they, did they go replace a roof and didn't follow the guidelines and now the roof replacement doesn't fall under insurance. Like that's a big hit to your capital reserves. Like there's a lot of different things that can happen. You also want to keep an eye on the property management team and you know, and you can do this through quarterly financials and the operator should be very forthcoming. But if there's issues amongst how the team's being managed, you know, it's just like any business. If you don't have alignment with your team, they're not, and they're not incentivized to go fill the property for you, like, guess what? You know, occupancy is going to fall. Pre-lease is going to fall. Yeah. And I think you said something really important there is like, this is a business. Like this is like any business. I mean, in any business, the people are the most important part. And sometimes they are the numbers and that comes first and the people come second. It's nice to hear that you put people First, because that is really the boots on the ground that can really make the difference to so the bottom line. Yeah. Recently, or you know, just to that to that point, we just recently are we're in the process of closing on a property. I think it's a 2003 build, so everybody's very excited about how new the property is. Uh-huh. It was like, yeah, yeah, and come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Let's kind of keep our eye on the ball. Like, yeah. let's like you know the, the operations team is also like just as important, right? Yeah, yeah the building's not falling apart, but yeah. there's still other <laughs> things that could happen, right? Yeah. So, what past business experience, like, besides, I mean, real estate investing—that's kind of where we started. But you obviously seem very street smart, and you've got like a good sense about you. Like, where did you get that from? So my background actually is in public health and running research projects. So I had to, you know, people think public health, like how does that translate to business? Well, you know, you have to manage a budget, you have to manage a team, you have to interview, you have to hire, you have to fire, you're accountable to your, your research, you have to write for funding. So it is kind of like running a business and not getting paid very well. Yeah. 
um, you're doing it for the love. Yes. So I actually parlayed those skills. You know, I went to work for community pharmacy for 11 years. So I worked for a retail chain pharmacy and I brought my public health skills and background. Community pharmacy to me is public health, but I went into the for-profit side and grew up through with a company, like grew through operations management and then training and development. Cool. In Boulder or where were you before Boulder? Uh, so with my public health career, I was in New Orleans, Louisiana. And then most recently, I've been in Boulder since 2006. So yeah. Whoa, that's different. <laughs> I've been here a while. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still not a native. I'm not, I don't classify as a native. I mean, this is my second tour here. I lived here when I was a little kid, but nice. I know I always say I've been here like 20 years now. So it's technically like 52 percent of my life so I feel like I'm more native than not native I don't know if it really works like that but I tell myself it does the kids are natives though oh absolutely so fun uh that's the other thing that I love about you too you're a mom yes I got a little seven-year-old she's not little she's gonna be taller than me really, <laughs> really quickly awesome. <laughs> so awesome well tell me because I know in my own life right now I'm working through Lots of, I would call it time management skills, and you must be applying them on the regular, being a mom and managing, I don't know, or having 1,400 storage units, and I don't even know what those numbers were. They were so high. So how do you do it all? Well, I don't. I don't do it all. <laughs> That's step number one. So just like when I'm talking about real estate, you know, I, I value partnerships and making things win-win. I mean, that's the, the same thing in my personal life. I think my husband like holds down the fort in so many different areas. It's amazing. He's, you know, he's not as evolved in the real estate side of the business. And so that allows us to kind of divide and conquer. I mean, he's interested, but he just doesn't want to be that involved. So I'm like, okay, great. Like, let's look at all the responsibilities that need to be taken care of with our child and around the house and school and after curricular activities, you know, he's a huge player. So that. And then I'm a huge believer of the one thing. I don't know if you guys have read that book by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan, but at the end of the day, it's all about priority management, yep. you know, really identifying like, what are your top priorities that are going to move the needle the fastest and do those first. And it is, it's simple, but it's, <laughs> it's not easy. Right. It's not right. easy. Like, I mean, I sit at the kitchen table with my daughter every morning and I read and, you know, she's doing her homework and she's like tugging my arm, like, Hey, can you help me with this math problem? I'm like, can you put down my book and you know, trying <laughs> to focus, I know. but it, it, you, when you have kids, you have to be nimble and adaptive. So, <laughs> and I chunk my day. So I really, most people, I, a lot of people that I know in the real estate space really subscribe to, is it how Elrod miracle morning and they focus on their business first, but I actually flip that. I focus on myself first. So I'm, I'm taking care of all my, I have found for myself, if I take care of all my you know, physical, spiritual, and emotional needs first thing in the morning, and then go right into what I need to take care of for my business, Yeah. you know, things run much smoother. Absolutely. I can agree with yeah, that. Yeah, we, we know that. It's just doing it yes. consistently. You know what I mean? But well, yeah. And oh, you're totally. Mm -hmm. We're working on it. We're even in a program right now that's kind of helping us get better at it because it, yeah, it just focuses on the whole being, which is what you're speaking to the, you know, the spiritual side, working out the whole thing. 
Well, and mm-hmm. it's like we take care of so many other people. I mean, I'm not a mom yet, but like so many other people in our lives and we're constantly taking care of business and our clients. And it's like, if we don't spend the time and take care of ourselves, like nobody else is going to do that for us, right? So it's like if we work on ourselves first, we're going to be that much better for everybody else. It's like putting on your oxygen mask first. I mean, I know we've heard it a million times. So <laughs> yeah. if you're on an airplane, you're sitting next to your child, the stewardess comes along and now it's really interesting. And, you know, especially the flights that I'm taking now on Southwest, they're looking right at me, pointing me in the face. They're like, put your mask on first. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> then yeah. nurse. I it's like you need that you need to be told it well they know that moms need to be told that or at least reminded exactly yeah and it, you know it's not a perfect science I mean if I get it right you know 80% of the time during the week I'm happy mm-hmm. like I'm moving the ball but you know I think it's focusing on the priorities learning about partnership but you still have to put the plan in place and execute the plan and I think setting that time aside to actually think what it is you need to do and in what order and what's the most important thing that you can be doing right now that would make everything else easier and necessary, lining up those dominoes. It's really hard for a lot of people to sit and think. I'll I'll raise my hand on that one too. So that's (laughs) another huge one. (laughs) Absolutely. That's really good advice. So, I mean, obviously you're on a podcast right now, and I think you've probably been on other podcasts. Is that correct? Correct. Sweet. What podcasts do you currently listen to? Oh, I listen to several. Like podcasts have been my education. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I probably, I probably, I mean, I'm I'm not going to say I have a degree in real estate, but I mean, if there were one, like I have hundreds of hours of listening on a podcast on real estate. So I listen to bigger pockets. I also listen to Joe Fairless's best ever get rich education. The one thing, and then just, you know, some other things like sporadically in there. A friend of mine just recently introduced me to armchair experts. I've heard of that. Is it Dak Shepard's yes. podcast? Oh, it's pretty is entertaining. It? Yes. Yes. And it's informative, amazingly informative. And extremely long. It's like listening to Joe Rogan. Aren't they like three hours? Oh, my. The one that I'm listening to right now is with Dave Asprey, him mm-hmm. and Dave Asprey, and it's about an hour. Okay, that's wow. not too bad. It's more no. manageable. Yeah, hour's good. Tim Fer- <laughs> and it, you know what kind of cracks me up is I know a lot of people that are into Tim Ferriss, and like for a guy that does the four-hour work week, his podcast ran an hour, half, or two hours. Long. <laughs> like, okay, now I have an hour left. I don't know what to do That's- for the whole week. Oh, super funny. But yeah, I I listen to things on one and a half speed. I'm not mm-hmm. quite to two x. I think I lose a lot in comprehension at two x. But I try. I try to compress them all down. But wait, you can comprehend it at one point five times speed. Yeah. It's like a New Yorker, like, like motor mouthing you. Oh, really? I don't, yeah, I don't feel that way. Oh my gosh. Good. My mind works really fast. That's amazing. I don't, but yeah, I just conditioned it. it. I think it does. I had mine on 2X on accident in my car and I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Get me out of here. That's so funny. Well, this was super informative and fun. And we thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find you? Yes, a couple of different places. You can find me at ashwealth.com, A-S-H-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. 
You can also find me at Good Egg Investments if you're interested about syndication. And then I'm all over Bigger Pockets. Sweet. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Just to get started. Whatever you're doing in real estate, get started. Time is your friend. That's, That's awesome. good advice. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. See you at Badass. Yeah. Bye, Bye Whitney. Bye. Thank you for letting us share the badass Whitney Elkins Huttons with you. Check out her bio and contact information on our website and in the comments.